One of the great things about living in a city is that there's a lot going on, lots of fun and distractions. And there are lots of different kinds of people in a city like Prague, which has in recent years become much more international than it once was back in the 90s. We have Americans, Russians, Ukrainians, British people, French people, German people, and Irish people, such as my guest today, Luke Ryan, quiz master for the pub quiz at the James Joyce Pub, podcaster, and godfather of Prague comedy. Hi, Mr. Ryan. How are you? Hey, Derek. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for coming on, and thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast, see a video version on our YouTube channel, and if you like what we do, feel free to donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. So, Luke, you're uh, Irish from Dublin, I believe. Uh, from Dublin, yeah. How'd you come here to Prague? When did you come? How did you come? Why did you come? I came in November 2010. Mm. I had been working for the Irish government and the financial crisis came and we had contracts that were very secure so you'd probably kind of have to kill your boss to get a warning <laughs> and uh, they wanted to get people out of the system and they came up with a career break scheme whereby you had to go for three years but they would pay you a third of your salary a year for three years to not work in Ireland. I thought to myself, if I don't take this, I will always be the guy who turned down free money from the Irish government. <laughs> right, that's for sure. The only stipulation is you could not work in Ireland during that time unless it was to start your own business. Wow. And um, it, the kind of hope maybe that you might not come back. So, <laughs> so this is, this is government-sanctioned diaspora. So basically, yeah, <laughs> which the Irish have always been very good at anyway. We've got about 70 million around the world. So you came here and uh, what did you do besides obviously get paid off by uh, Mother Ireland? I, I came here and started teaching English. I had taught in English for a year on a previous career break in Poland. Mm. And then the first year of that, the three-year break, went to South America for a bit, back to Ireland, came here, thought I'd be here for one year, uh-huh. then go to Asia, and I fell in love with Prague almost immediately. I think that happens to a lot of people. This is uh, very much like where I'm from, San Francisco. Cities full of people who came and then went, hmm, I don't think I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've noticed like during the financial crisis, I've met some people here who came here out of necessity because they couldn't get a job back home. And some of them couldn't get used to it, the struggle with the language, not knowing where they are, not mm. understanding everything. I don't mind that. I, I came here for the adventure. I came here voluntarily. And I kind of like the fact that everything was a bit more difficult. You had to learn a lot more things. You were lost a bit. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. 
it was something it was completely new and although i'm very familiar with prague now i will still find things that are new that are interesting that are head-wrecking and troublesome sometimes <laughs> and i'm sure it'll be the same in another 10 11 years time sure so i mean you've been here now uh, 11 years as of this conversation uh you've seen the city change quite a bit it yeah it, it has changed a lot in that time like you don't get ham on vegetarian menus so much anymore <laughs> but yeah i mean it was quite common back in the first couple of years like ham and egg omelet yeah on the vegetarian it's vegetarian menu. what what's your problem and it's, it's gentrified a bit and i am afraid that it might lose a little bit of its soul that made it what it was but i you know things do have to change over time i i just i do hope that it always maintains that little bit of like prague soul that sets it aside from a lot of other capital cities that i've been in I, and i do like the variety uh but i do every now and again like going into one of those old czech bars and the cooking grease still smells like it's from the <laughs> 1970s and hasn't been changed and the people look like they've been there since the 1970s So, of course, as we foreigners uh, come here very often, we import some of the traditions and things uh, from home. Uh, obviously, a lot of these non-Czech restaurants are started by people who were missing food from back home and then said, hey, I want to live here. Why don't I make that food? And then uh, other things get imported as well. English language theater, uh, open mic nights started becoming a real thing here. We're starting to see stand-up comedy uh, to a certain extent, improv and quizzes, pub quizzes, which is a, a thing that started off in the 1970s in the UK, in Britain. Uh, yeah, and also huge in Ireland in the 80s. Mm -hmm. and that's how I got into it. My parents used to go to quizzes in the area and took me to my first when I was 11 <laughs> and fell in, fell in love with it or playing Trivial Pursuit. And I, I did quiz nights back in Dublin. And when I was over here, somebody from the James Joyce contacted me and asked me, uh, is that kind of something that you might do? And I was like, absolutely. Hmm. Started doing that in 2016 in the James Joyce. Wow. So you've been doing it five years. Yeah. Wow. And some of the teams that are there have been going close to five years. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if people know exactly what a pub quiz is. It's basically going to the pub. On an off night, it was invented uh, in the 1970s to bring people in on off nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, and uh, you know get some more business. So you have teams of uh, a certain number, different places have different numbers. You answer a bunch of uh, trivia questions, and then uh, you count up the points, and somebody wins, and there's some kind of prize usually, and, and all of this. And it's interesting, the James Joyce pub quiz, which has been going on, I don't even know, is it the first? It's not the first. The one in the Globe, uh, Danny mm. Danny does the one in the Globe. He's been doing that for. He's been doing that since 2010, anyway. Okay, so so the second oldest, perhaps. We're not making any claims here. You do have this very loyal following of really the same teams show up week after week with the same team names, which is a very interesting because I used to participate in pub quizzes in San Francisco. We always came up with a different name. We always had a different configuration of of players on our team. But not so with James Joyce. It's like a little clubhouse. It kind of is. And we started doing the seasonal competitions uh, maybe three times a year. So you, you, we would take your best 10 scores over 12 weeks. So the team started sticking with the same names. And it's almost become something like a football league. And teams have their own peaks and troughs. 
Uh, there's another team of Irish guys, Bitches Be Tripping, who are kind of like the big rivals of my team, the Islanders. And then there's Fake News, who were strong for a while and then not so strong and have become very strong again. And then you have the other teams who attend regularly and they might win every now and again. Mm-hmm. And it, it the rivalry is fantastic. And I think part of the reason why the teams keep coming back is not just for the quiz, but because of the other people at the quiz. And it does get rowdy because of that. And there's a lot of play acting amongst people. And I build some of that into the quizzes myself anyway, deliberately to wind up certain teams with certain questions, especially (laughs) if their football team lost at the weekend. Uh Um, So you do, Taylor, you come up, you're the one who comes up with the questions. Yeah, I write all the questions. You're not not handed them from some organization or something. So you have to, that's a lot of work. It takes a while. You get used to it. I mean, I'm screen grabbing stuff on my phone all through the week, and then I'll sit down on a Sunday morning and write all the questions out. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing quizzes, uh, when you're doing it regularly, your mind is just constantly in quiz mode. Everything is looking for a question. And similarly, most of my friends here know I do the quizzes, and most of the time they're like, oh, here's a question for you, here's a question for you. And they, they're fascinated by the idea and they, they love it when they know that one of their questions has been included into the oh. quiz script as well. Some people have said to me at the break, I knew you were going to ask that because I saw this article pop up on Facebook and that's exactly the sort of thing that you will ask. <laughs> I know some of the teams go online and on a Monday and check uh, which celebrities have had birthdays in the last couple of days or the next couple of days or... Uh, relevant uh, dates on this date in history mm-hmm. and they get used to it or they get used to kind of how your mind works or mm-hmm. if you're going to do- trying to double bluff them or triple bluff them on an answer mm-hmm. which gives me a lot of fun do like am i only going to single bluff them double bluff them triple bluff them <laughs> and it's nice to have the regular quizzers there because when i'm writing the quiz i know who i'm writing for mm-hmm. and it, it it like doing stand-up comedy when you know who you're writing for you can make it a lot more personal yeah that's true do you ever, I mean, it's been going on so long, you ever recycle questions? I do sometimes. And if I'm busy, I do go back through the archive from the last five years. And I've, I've had it before where I've done a quiz one night in James Joyce and then later or the next week in a different bar. And I've reused some of the questions because I haven't had time. And some of the same people have gone to the second, ah. second night <laughs> and they can't remember if they got it right the first night or not. And they're, they're so frustrated because they're like, I've only heard this answer like a week and a half ago, but I can't remember if I was right or wrong in the first place or what it was. And, and to be fair, I was pretty intoxicated. As the evening progresses, that first round is always very like, mm-hmm, yes, yes, everyone's very serious. By the end of it, it there's like, there's a lot of talk back. There's a lot of confusion, uh, especially like some quizzes, uh, yours, I think, included. You have us correct each other's. Yeah. So then you have to double check. Are they screwing us? Or did they or did they make a legitimate mistake? Because that guy who was holding the pen, he's bombed. Some of the, uh, and they can be ruthless with each other. Yeah. If especially if it's like like Grant's team fake news correcting bitches be tripping and they're both vying for first place and if there's like you know three letters wrong in some eastern european surname like oh no not correct enough not even not even close it's like just give them the answer you'd expect the same and so even a couple of weeks ago during round four i had worked the next morning so i wasn't drinking and everyone else was getting a bit drunk and i had the bag i bring to school i actually had to take the whistle out i mean i'm a primary school you have teacher. a whistle yeah, as a primary school teacher, it's necessary to have a whistle. I actually had to get the whistle out first time in five years and blow it in the joys to get them to shut up. There was such an argument going on between uh, two of the teams. 
Does it ever get serious? It doesn't get serious, does it? Or does it? It's all. It, it always stays just about the right side of the line. Like they are aggravated or angry about not winning or missing some things. There's been the odd week over the years where there's been, I don't know, something of a kerfuffle between a couple of teams and neither of those teams will turn up the following week. And they'll come back two weeks later, but they, they're kind of like sending a signal. They're smarting after what happened the week before. So they're... Oh. Do you ever have, uh, have you ever had an evening where it's just one team showed up? Because then they kind of win, don't they? <laughs> the lowest I think we've had is three. Huh? Okay. Yeah. That's, still, that's still viable. Yeah. And what happens, because I know you really do, because the space isn't that big. You only have space there for what? I mean, maybe seven teams? Uh, I think we can manage nine. Nine, nine in a yeah. pinch. Nine so, in a pinch. And it is quite cramped in the room. So you guys, you guys do it uh, Monday nights in James Joyce. There are obviously a bunch of other places that do it as well. I know Check In, I-N-N. Uh, which is a hostel. They also have a Monday night quiz. Uh, Bohemia Boards and Brews, Naplech and Pubble all do it on Tuesdays. And then Wednesday is The Globe, yeah. which is apparently, someone was just telling me, it's gotten so big that they're considering adding a Tuesday night because they're at capacity. you got to book a long time in advance to get a table at The Globe on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Like Danny is such a good following for that. Uh, the Hoax Pub in Smichov, the Zone Bar in Novi Miesto, and um, The Globe. And uh, a new one has started up also on Wednesday at the cafe at Devadlo na Pradla that uh, is now the new home of Prague Shakespeare Company. So Wednesdays, you're spoiled for choice. Yep. You know, if you wanted to get in The Globe, but you couldn't, there are plenty of other options. And then Thursdays, uh, Bricks Bar, which is also a hostel, uh, does it as well. I know Amazing Chayovna used to do it. I don't know if they're doing it anymore. A lot of pub quizzes canceled during COVID, and I don't think they've recovered. No, I during COVID, I did an online pub quiz. Um, ah. And Carlo, who hosts uh, the Thursday night quiz in Rockies, he was doing online quizzes as well. It was a good way to keep um, the regular quiz guests kind of quizzed up during that time and <laughs> quizzed up i like that <laughs> they and you know they they were then like happy to get back into the real the real pub quizzes as well when we mm-hmm. we got back into the pubs so what did you do them like over zoom uh, yeah over zoom i used to do mine on kahoot mm-hmm. so it was all multiple choice carlo would do his more like a traditional pub quiz but try to make everything as much as possible google proof mm-hmm. so <laughs> yes, of, of course a lot of photos a lot of videos music so obviously, in the in the age of the uh, mobile computing platform, smartphones is a is a big danger in the pub quiz world. I don't know any. I mean, I don't do them that often. I do them from time to time as a participant. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone actually trying to cheat before, but you must have. Actually, not in the James Joyce. Really, I've heard a couple of times people have suggested that other people are using Shazam during the music round. Ah, uh, and that's something I'd keep an eye out, especially now with people with smartwatches. It's a lot more discreet than having your phone out. Mm-hmm. And you do get it every week where someone has their phone out and you're trying to like put the phone away, and they're like, "I'm just checking my bus times." And I was like, mm-hmm. "I didn't say that at the start that you can only use your phone to check bus times. You can wait till the end of the round because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. every other team spots it and they are immediately on the case on my case and it's like you know they're coming last you know yeah. <laughs> give them a break you know if they are cheating they're not doing a very good job of this <laughs> right think how badly they'd be doing if they weren't cheating yeah or maybe the cheating is what's interfering with their uh, with their score <laughs> you are sometimes when you're hosting there um rather stern 
Uh, is it just because you're like, look, I understand that I am in a crowded room full of people who are becoming increasingly intoxicated and are very competitive. And if I don't really keep a handle on them, like with primary school kids, if you don't wrangle them from the get-go and keep them wrangled, it could break out into full-fledged French Revolution. Basically, yeah. You, and I mean, I don't often drink on the Monday night because I, I've got to be up early for work the next morning which is also why I don't want to still be there at 11 o'clock trying to get through the last round because they're taking so much time with all their messing. But uh, I, try, I try to keep them generally on track that we get done by about 10 o'clock mm-hmm. and we get through it, you know, two and a half hours, I think, is enough time for, for a quiz. And for the foreseeable future, James Joyce is obviously happy with what uh, with uh, the extra business. I should think there's, as far as you know, this is going to continue indefinitely. I I think so. Yeah, we have a very good following. We have a lot of teams every Monday, and every, everyone enjoys it. Mm. You know, and I think it's great that it's you know it kind of speaks for the quiz itself that it will get so many people out on a Monday evening, especially when the you know dark nights when the cold weather is here. With such a, a bunch of loyal repeat offenders <laughs> if you will um but there there is nonetheless space for new people to come to the james joyce pub quiz if if they so choose we're always happy to welcome new teams mm-hmm. and you know some of the teams that go now joined in the last year or two and all i would say is give it a month to get into the flow of the quiz and right. get used to the structure of the quiz i know it can be a little defeatist at first when you, your team is only getting half the points of the, the teams that are winning but you'll you'll notice patterns with the quiz and you'll start getting an idea of what look what to look out for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know also have a good balance of males females different age range different nationalities not content with just hosting writing and hosting a pub quiz once a week you also have now started a podcast called the Inquisition with a Z or a Z if you are from the British Isles which is what is it a quiz podcast what is it basically yeah usually it's two teams maybe three teams five rounds I mean a lot of the questions come from the archive of questions from the James Joyce mm different styles of questions and takes about 30 minutes and it's it's good fun it's mostly friends in Prague who are taking part I've done a couple of recordings in in Ireland with my family Mm. one recording with my close group of friends in Ireland which was a disaster but a beautifully wonderful (laughs) shambolic disaster so much so much swearing so much swearing (laughs) there was a lot of swearing in that episode (laughs) and there was a lot of outtakes which will never be made public Uh, I've always wanted to try podcasting and kept putting it off. And finally, this year, during uh, the year of your lockdown, I said, okay, you know, if you're not going to do it during a lockdown, you're never going to do it. Did the artwork, did the music, worked out the format, and then called some friends over. And we we did two test episodes and edited them. They came out pretty well. And then we said, right, okay, let's do three full recordings and started putting online. And we're getting a little bit of a following. Yeah. So it's basically, it's a, it's a pub quiz that people are listening to essentially basically yeah you know and it's uh, I think 30 minutes is a nice length you know generally for a journey to work or something and they're interesting questions you'll get to learn something about it I, I think it's good fun also I always put some outtakes at the end of the more interesting moments that don't really fit in right and even lately I've been adding some interesting musical endings to the episode sampling the voices of the guests and adding some music to that uh, how often does it come out 
It comes out every two weeks, every mm-hmm. every second Saturday. And uh, what's the hosting service? Uh, you'll f- um, I host on Podbean, mm-hmm. and you'll find it on Podbean, Apple, Google, Spotify, these are all the... All the main, yeah, the, yeah. the big players. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Uh, I'm sure people have asked you this, because they ask me all the time, are you ever going to do, like, uh, live ones, or are you ever going to do, like, video or live video? Any interest in, in doing that, or no? I've thought about it. I, I need to work out the logistics of getting the guests to shut up sometimes and not keep on interrupting because it's much harder to edit if it, there's also video the, that as well yeah. yeah um i haven't i haven't really maybe going live audio would be something i'd like to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but a live video I'll, I'll probably leave for a bit and then there's stand-up comedy you said that some people refer to you as the godfather of comedy Prague. what does that mean Sir, may I, should I kiss you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I set up Comedy Prague in uh, 2013. There had been a little bit of English comedy here, and then it died out in about early 2012. I've, I've been doing comedy in, I started in Dublin in 2004, mm. and it's always been one of my favorite pastimes. Also, good free therapy as well. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot true. better than pain of therapist. And uh, so, started Comedy Prague. My friend from Ireland, Kieran McMahon, came over. He's the guy who trained me. We started training comedians we did a couple of workshops in 2013 2014 and started with a monthly show where you had four or five comedians trying to write new stuff every month and a lot of it was miss more than hit i think that's always the case though i mean a lot of people think you hear this all the time oh you're funny you should do comedy i'm it's like with cooking oh wow you made me dinner uh you should open a restaurant Two totally different things, man. Yeah. They're not... Being funny at the beer garden is not the same thing as being funny on stage in that environment. And a lot of the stuff, even the stuff during a comedy routine that seems off the cuff, is not actually. It's workshopped and fine-tuned and honed. It is. I mean, my material, my aim is to make it sound like that is just coming into my head at that very moment. But, but it isn't. No. Like, <laughs> a lot of it is a lot of it is scripted, but I, I do leave parts in the material to go off script. Mm. And I don't script everything word for word because then it becomes more like a monologue. Mm-hmm. So like notes and ideas and knowing you'll know you, you know, you'll know how to get the punchline. You've got to trust your own brain. Mm-hmm. You have conversations every day where you don't prepare for. So what you if you can't fill in the words around your ideas, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And then it comes across more naturally. I want it to sound like a pub conversation with my friends it's just there's a lot more people in the group and I'm the only one talking how many of us have often wanted that I, I would I love hanging out with my friends if only they would just shut up and <laughs> let me say what's on my mind who's the audience for the comedy is it all English native English speakers do you get checks in there do the checks can they follow it we get people from all over mm. I'd say you're probably looking at about 40% native English speakers 60% continental Europeans there'll always be checks in there and I've noticed in the last five years there's been a huge improvement with non-native speakers attending Mm. level of English has been improving in this country over the last 10 years and I think because of Netflix a lot of these people are watching English language comedy on Netflix and Ah. are understanding everything Ah. and for us as as English speaking comedians you know I do have to be careful about the vocabulary I use 
I was just going to ask, do you, do you sometimes kind of suss out the audience and go, I may have to grade my language a little bit, you know, adapt it to, to the level. Even like one basic example, if I'm going to use, if I'm going to use the word furious, I will preface it with the word angry. Mm. You know, I'm, I was so angry, I was furious. Mm-hmm. Just in case not everyone knows that word. I don't want people sitting there not understanding, you know, that if they paid money to take part in the event, they should get their money's worth out of mm. it. And mm. You know, it's good for us. We want more people laughing. A little bit of language grading to make sure it's inclusive to everyone. Or maybe occasionally you'll explain some points just to make sure everyone gets it. And it makes it a little bit different from when I performed in Ireland when you have 95% Irish people and maybe a few English and Americans. Throw in some Irish slang. Everybody knows what you're talking about. You know, oh, that's the crack. Everybody knows. I find as well here, I I speak a little bit more slowly on stage or I enunciate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I repeat a bit more. I might repeat the same point two or three times, which is useful for comedy anyway, for emphasis. And it also really helps the understanding for people in the audience if they maybe missed it, you know, or if, if you continue speaking as the laughter is dying down a good, that's a nice time to repeat just to reemphasize, make sure everyone's back on track with everything. So there's a few techniques where you kind of learn doing comedy over here compared to Ireland, or I, you, you learn not to make very many cultural references Unless they're they're Prague or Czech Republic references, which everyone will get. Right, right. Well, in theory, do you get tourists? Or is it all people you think who live here probably? We get quite a few tourists. Mm. The Friday night show we do in London Underground, we get quite a few tourists there. So we we try not to do too much material based about living in Prague because it isolates them. (laughs) Who's this Zemon they keep referring to? (laughs) I don't know who that is. Now, you also do Comedy Prague workshops. I do. Um, which is what? Training people up. This is how... It's not just standing up here and being funny off the off the cuff. It's it's an art and, it, and, it, and it's a discipline. And this is how you do it. Yeah, the workshops are great for people who want to start into comedy because either they have the ideas, but they don't know how to structure them. Or the other big problem is they might be okay at, or at writing the jokes and the material, but they are terrified of getting on stage. You're either doing one or two functions. You're, you're honing their skills, writing material, or you're building up their confidence and trying to take away the fear. I mean, there'll always be a bit of fear and terrible nerves just before they go on, but making them believe that they can do it. Which is, it's not impossible, it's it just, you just know, you need to know the right buttons to push with someone to break down that barrier in their mind. Mm, sure. I mean, you know, it's funny, I think a lot of people think that um, comedians are all extroverts, and yet a surprisingly large number of them, it might even be more than half, are actually introverts. A lot of comedians are introverts. I know my father, for example, thinks I'm a total extrovert. He's heard me say before, I wouldn't be a total extrovert. I can be a bit introvert. And he, I, I've had him sitting across me going, ah, no, Luke, that's not true. And it's like, I think I know who I am better than you do. Yeah. And I know when he'll hear this, he'll say the exact same thing back to me. So, <laughs> Dad, don't bother. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. So I'm Mr. Ryan, but you're just uh, you're barking up the wrong tree here. And I think a lot of comedians, a lot of them are introverts. Um, a lot of them are neurotic. And a lot of them, maybe because of being introverts, they look at life more than extroverts. Or they can take that time out to study things in life in more detail. 
and they start noticing the things that not everyone notices. And for me, that's one of the best jokes is when you deliver something to the audience and it's almost like it's something they have known for their entire life, but they've never quite put their finger on. And now this person on stage has revealed it to them and it makes total sense. And it's been staring them in the face for years and they've never worked it out. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, wonderful moment of realization. Part of the uh, emotional content of the laugh is recognition yeah a lot of it is like looking at the absurdities of of life the things that just shouldn't be the way they are Mm. and i i always believe in being honest and emotional i think a lot of it a lot of comedy is honesty and then you add the exaggeration for the joke part but everything is based in truth and the audience will go with you on that because you're being honest and also because you are most likely opening up about problems, neuroses that they have. And mm. you realize that you're not the only person who suffers with this. You know, mm. like it still kills me every time I get off a tram in this country. Why Czech people feel the need they have to stand right in front of the door. Oh my God. And they, you look at them as in kind of Moses, get out I of my way. I do not understand how this works. It's so yeah. obvious. And they're standing there looking up at you. It's like, what, you can't just go through it? Yeah, it's like have they have you not worked out? You've had trams for like mo- you like for longer than most other countries in the world. Like, <laughs> get out of the way, please. Do you think there's uh, you know it's been said that the main difference between say British humor and American humor is British humor is very often wouldn't it be funny if humor and American humor is more observational? Isn't it funny that and that style of humor seems to be kind of dominating the stand-up scene regardless of uh, the nationality of the comic. Uh, do you find that's the case? or Because absurd, really weird emo Phillips and things like this, they're very few and far between in the stand-up scene and they don't generally do real well. I, I do find that I, uh, American comedy, whether it's on stage or sitcom, is generally more observational mm-hmm. about life. And because of Netflix, I think a lot of new comedians, they're kind of cutting their teeth trying to emulate the people they see on these shows. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, go out and check out other comedy, but... I think some comedians, to their detriment, are trying to be like the people they see on Netflix and not find their own natural voice. Yeah, yeah. In in Ireland, it's storytelling is big in stand-up comedy, mm. and it's generally taking something in life and then going into, as you said, the, the what if. Mm-hmm. You know, how could this develop? Or what happens if this goes wrong? Or can you imagine the absurd or abstract possibilities of this? It's often the hook you get in your head when you first create the material mm-hmm. and you build the story around that. And like, for example, I was in Ikea and I realized that I was following the wrong woman around. <laughs> now, this actually happened. Now, I didn't interact with her. I just realized I was... You thought that was the person you'd gone there with. Yeah. <laughs> and I just realized I was slowly just... Because I, I was on my phone looking at football results. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that's not her. And, uh, and I was like, okay, so in the comedy material, I stay with her You're right. and her man is with my woman and I pay for her stuff. He pays for my woman's stuff and I go home with her and he goes home and we meet back the next day. And at no point do the women ever notice that they've got the wrong husband because they're so tied up with like what kind of tea towels to get or what will match with the curtains or anything. But I love that about storytelling comedy is 
like the you know at some point you know if you if you take if you broke it down afterwards with audience members and it's like obviously that never happened he never went home with the wrong woman right but you you fill in enough truths about ikea like one of the earlier jokes is there's always somebody doing ikea in the wrong direction always and i was there yesterday there were people doing ikea in the wrong direction i had to go back to bring something back so i did it in the wrong direction (laughs) for about 400 meters you know there's always somebody and all of these things are true and Mm -hmm. and people that they they hook people into the story mm-hmm. and then you come to the ridiculous part mm-hmm. and everyone will just let their imagination fly for the next five or six minutes mm-hmm. and go with the massive what if hypothetical absurdity of what's going to happen mm-hmm. because you've exposed enough uh, truth in what you're talking about whether it's actual being in ikea or the relationship between men and women interacting when they go shopping you know there's enough ground truth in there that's why i love storytelling comedy and you don't see it like newer comedians are more observational shorter stuff and i'd love to see more comedians explore the storytelling Mm -hmm. and you know maybe instead of only following what's on netflix or the big american comedians and i'm you know I'm not disparaging them. They are very good. Go check out some of the Irish comedians or British comedians. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll see the same with Irish and British um, sitcom comedy. Characters in British and Irish sitcoms, firstly, those series are usually done after two or three seasons with a maximum of 20 to 30 episodes. Right. Secondly, the characters make no evolutionary arc whatsoever they're usually just as dumb as the day they first started in that series (laughs) that's true there's no progress there's no development they are just because comedy effectively is you are trapped in a situation from which you can't escape right and if you do escape it stops being funny because you have been released from the problem which was why the comedy is happening in the first place right comedy a lot of people have said comedy is tension in fact there's a um there is a comic who actually talks about that it's the job of the comic is to create tension and then release that tension. That's why, I mean, you know, laughter is the best medicine because it is this release of tension. So it's kind of therapeutic. It is. It's a powerful tool. You're a healer. <laughs> yes, I, sh- I should be charging more than <laughs> I mean, you'll see it with uh, like bad stuff that happens in the world, how quickly the memes start going around about that, uh, often which are in terrible taste, but also right. often very, very funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, his head got cut off. Too soon. (laughs) This style of storytelling and and this um, aesthetic, I would think, would very much appeal to Czechs. Do you have Czechs going up there? We do. There's quite a strong Czech scene, actually. Uh, Underground comedy do a lot of gigs in Czech. Mm. And some of their comedians have done comedy in English as well. And some of them are very, very good as well. Uh, we have we have all nationalities like Irish, English, American. Obviously, the native speaking ones, Australian, uh, Romanian comedians, Czech comedians, uh, Serbian, uh, Macedonian. Wow. We we Polish. We've had many like many different nationalities, hmm. and I, I think one common thing is a lot of like for those living in Prague is that we all live in Prague, and for a lot of our the guests of the show, they all live in Prague which is a great starting point for what you're going to talk about. And 
then you, you can branch out into different areas of your life. I think audiences enjoy hearing about what's wrong with the comedian's home country, you know, or there's one guy, Sean Reardon, he's from New Jersey, he's lived in Barcelona, he's lived in Mexico, his wife is Mexican. He very often compares life in Czech Republic, America, and Mexico as well, uh, with great effect. Mm-hmm. Because even if people haven't been to these countries, they have the stereotypes, you know, and st- stereotyping is a wonderful part of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I will say stereotyping, not racism, and there's right, a huge right, difference. Right, right, yeah. um, and audiences like hearing about stereotypes. I frequently ask if I'm emceeing, what are your stereotypes about Ireland? It's like, you get drunk, you drink Guinness, you eat right. potatoes. He's got the Irish flu. It means he's hungover. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I love hearing what people think about Ireland and then as a kind of springboard to talk about it and mm-hmm. same same other comedians, you know, giving insight to their home countries. And it's, it's a wonderful way to learn about the world. And I think it's interesting, like you said, especially when it's uh, that kind of cultural comparison comedy. I think if, if you're going to a comedy show, you need to leave your life at the door, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because you, you know, a comedian can't think of what every single audience member is going through and accommodate that and still come up with something funny. Right. There will be risque material that might cross the line for some people, but not all people. They might touch on topics, which is are sore spots in your life at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it could happen. It, it has happened many times. Mm-hmm. You, you know, leave it at the door, go in and enjoy the show. You might not laugh at everything and not everyone is funny and even if you the person is funny not every joke will land all the time and and people have bad nights yeah sometimes you're like i know this joke killed two weeks ago why is it flopping tonight it just is yeah it just and is. very often it's down to the comedian mm-hmm. and i've heard this before oh it's a bad audience in all my years like what since 2004 i could probably count on one hand bad audiences and mm-hmm. i'm well over a thousand gigs what is a bad audience? Just like full of drunk hecklers? That would be a bad audience. Yeah. That would be no fun to do. Mm-hmm. I, you don't get bad audiences. You need to moderate it a little bit. A Tuesday evening audience will not be as boisterous as a Thursday, Friday audience. So mm-hmm. for like, I'm very high energy. I would tone down the energy a little bit or start slower and then build up and bring them with me. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Friday show, I can hit the stage already in fifth gear and they will come along immediately because they don't have the work the next day. And But that's mm-hmm. on the comedian to know that stuff and to, to balance it. You get comedians who I've either, you know, they're having a bad day, they're tired, new material didn't work. They missed a couple of beats with the punchlines. Right. And it happens to every comedian, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it, it's almost like it has to happen to a comedian every now and again to give you a kick up the ass to get back on track. Like it happened to me Thursday last week and it wasn't bad. It just never got into top gear. Mm-hmm. And then Friday night I was headlining, headlining London Underground. I, I, I was so motivated from the early afternoon. I was, my head was on fire. I could not wait to get back on that stage. <laughs> and I tore it up because you just have this super motivation because mm-hmm. you, you're still stinging a bit from not knowing that it didn't go as well as it could have the evening before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. And sometimes if you have too many good gigs in a row, you kind of start getting a little complacent. Because it is, it is, a, it is a boom and bust kind of a, a rhythm. It is, yeah. I do get nervous before going on stage, but very good nerves. Mm-hmm. And I get these... I've Motivational nervous. nerves. Yeah. yeah, yeah if yeah. you're not nervous before you go on to try and make a room full of strangers laugh, you, you're something wrong with you. Right, because in order for you to 
be able to craft a state of tension which you then release at a time of your choosing you have to be in a state of tension yourself yeah but you don't have the luxury of releasing it you have to great i release their tension and now i have to bring more of my inner tension back into the room spread it amongst them and release it again yeah and then i will cry myself to sleep <laughs> Uh, with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about your average comedy weekend. <laughs> You're right. So, uh, obviously, Mr. Luke Ryan has a, a, a lot of irons in the fire, needless to say. Uh, you'll find uh, links in the episode notes to all of the things we're talking about, including... Uh, you said that you're going to start up doing your comedy workshops again in January, is that right? Yeah, January 2022. We'll After be... a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, it's been since 2018 was the last one I did because oh. of COVID and various other life situations. So, But I, I, I would love to get another workshop going. So I've booked in the dates January 2022 and it, the graduation show will then happen at the end of February. Uh-huh. And if you so want a month of training. Yeah, six weeks of workshops mm-hmm. and... Then you do, you get on stage, you take the big step, you do your first seven minutes. But there's a lot of preparation all that time. There'll be an initial meeting in December to get people kind of warmed up what they can do to start preparing over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you can find the event on Facebook, if you go onto Comedy Prague and search for or Comedy Workshop, Comedy Prague Workshops on Facebook, you'll find the events for that and you can details of how to get in touch with me. Right. All right. And again, like I said, you can check the episode notes and you can also check the events page on Facebook, the Prague Haps, which I also run, uh, which will also have uh, that in the events tab and all the rest. I'd like to thank Mr. Luke Ryan for talking to me today. Quizmaster, podcaster and godfather of Comedy Prague. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Derek. It's a pleasure. And uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Prague Times. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times.